0: morning. Uh, This morning I'll be reading out of Mark chapter 7. Bear with me. This is verses 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with uh, hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave, uh, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is uh, Cor- uh, Corbin that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God. Amen.
1: Thank you very much. Well, good morning. Um, It is great to see you. And I know that really any Sunday, it's it's good to see you. I know pastors are usually in the habit of saying it's good to see you, but when we're talking Memorial Day weekend... It is really good to see you. I mean, I preached to a room full of empty chairs before. I'm not afraid to do it again, but it's really good when there's people here. So uh, you all are really on next level piety. Um, The only thing that matches this is going to be those that would be here on a Sunday night for Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, this is really next level. So uh, thank you so much for being here. My name is Danny Kirkpatrick. As was uh, mentioned, I get to uh, serve Uh, with Redeemer Network. And I think you know about Redeemer Network. You're part of Redeemer Network. We are passionate about the gospel. We love seeing churches just like yours uh, be planted, to be replanted, to being revitalized. We are excited to be a part of this work. And and I just want to take a moment. I'm excited to get into God's word, but I want to take just a moment to share this with you. You are part of a movement of God. This is God's work. It's, it's not ours. Like, you are here. This church is here for no other reason than God made it happen. And I know sometimes I, I forget that. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted by all the other things that are going on, but you are part of a movement of God. There is absolutely no reason why this, 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 this should be here. Ryan, Brian, this isn't something that they could have put together. This isn't something other godly people, you know, like we, we just can't do this churches just like this are proclaiming the gospel in dark places. The light of Jesus is going forth, and this is not a human activity. You are here. You're part of a work of God. This is an encouraging thing to be a part of, and I hope that your hearts are encouraged by this fact that the Lord has drawn you here, and the Lord is working in your midst, and the Lord is using you, and so draw strength from that. From my understanding, uh, the church is going through the Gospel of, of Mark. Is that right? So through Sundays, uh, you are going and uh, through the Gospel of Mark, and the passage given over to me is Mark chapter 7. And what was just read is that there are these people called the Pharisees and the scribes. And and if you were here last week, I wasn't here, but uh, Brian did a great job talking about things of clean and unclean. And if y'all were here last week, he talked about that very thing. And, and so if you don't know the difference between clean or unclean, and were 2,000 years ago, you were in love because there were these people who would love to tell you that what you're doing is unclean or wrong or bad, and they were called the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees were the experts in the law. These people knew the law. When you think law, think of the first five books of the Bible, Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the Torah, the books of the law. And they were experts in that. And, and if you're like me, um, you might be wondering, well, what's so bad about these people? And why did Jesus never really get along well with them? There was always conflict between not Jesus and, like, the sinners. Like, he got along great with tax collectors. He got along great with sinners. But it was this religious class of the Pharisees and the scribes that he really did not get along with. And why is that? They're experts in the law. Isn't the law a a good thing? Isn't the Torah, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, aren't, aren't those God's word? Why would that be such a bad thing? Why did Jesus have such a hard time getting along with those people? And we're going to unpack some of that today. But let me just say up front that there's, there's nothing wrong with the law. Uh, there, there's nothing bad in it. It is God's word. But the law has a special function. And that, that function of the law is to reveal and expose our sin. That the holy God has, has laid before us certain commandments. And those are good. Uh, the problem is that we just can't reach them. We can't attain them. We can't hold to them perfectly. But they begin to expose our sin and they reveal to us a great need for grace. So the law is not a bad thing. So, why did Jesus have such a hard time with these people of the Pharisees? This is some of the, the, the big conflict that Jesus had. It's mentioned here in the first several verses. Look at verse one. When the Pharisees gathered to him to Jesus with some of the scribes, this kind of delegate that came out of Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands. That were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly. Listen to this holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk? Listen to this, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. So what's the problem with washing hands? The answer to that is absolutely nothing. Please do it. Here in just a few moments, we will be breaking uh, this service. We will end here. We'll go off to lunch. Please let me recommend to you, wash the fellowship off of your hands. It's really important that we do that. But the problem isn't so much, this isn't a hygiene issue. This this is not a a problem of of cleanliness of germs. This is, according to the tradition of the elders, a a matter of ceremonial cleanliness. That that if you're going to be right before God, you're going to have to cleanse yourself outwardly. That you've got to wash your hands from coming to the marketplace where there were all of these sinners out there and defiled things. You are going to have to now go through this ritual process in order to get cleansed so that you can get okay with God. And Jesus had a big problem with that. Because nowhere in the scriptures are you going to find a specific command that says, this is how you've got to wash your hands before you eat. You don't find that there. There, there, There's no specific command for all people uh, to wash things like their cups. Cups in a particular way, their pots, their copper vessels, and their dining couches. You're not going to find that anywhere in the text. You will find specific instances uh, where the the priests, the Levites, had to do certain types of ritual cleansings as they were doing service in the temple. So you will find that, but there is no command across all time and all places, all people that they were supposed to ritually cleanse themselves to get okay with God. You don't find that. And so there were certain dangers and problems of the Pharisees. And this is what led to a lot of conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. The first of these, and I want us to look at this from the text and then begin to see how this begins to affect ourselves. One of the great dangers of the Pharisees is that they place their traditions above the word of God. Let's think about that. If God said, here's what I'm asking for, what the Pharisees began to do is they began to kind of put a little fence around that. They began to put a little extra stuff around that. So just to make sure that we we don't cross over the line, we're going to kind of build some fences around the line so you can't cross those either. What's so wrong about that? Well, there's a lot of things wrong with something like that. The great problem here is that they're elevating themselves to the highest authority that is reserved for God alone. They're elevating themselves to a place of highest authority that is reserved for God alone. When somebody comes and says to you, thus saith the Lord. They are saying on behalf of God, this is God's command. This is what God is wanting. When we preach, we are proclaiming the word of God, that this is God's testimony to you, but they weren't doing that. What they were doing is that this is the commandment. This is the tradition of men. And at that moment, what they're ultimately leading people to do is follow themselves rather than God. The, the, the problem, when you see this confrontation, it's, it's, it's not like, why, why, are, why are they violating God's word here? The problem is, why are you going against the tradition of ancestors, the traditions of men? What they're doing is they're leading people ultimately to follow themselves rather than the word of God. Which relates to another great problem. They're claiming to speak on behalf of God whenever God never commanded that. You're being ultimately a false prophet here. They're claiming to speak on behalf of God whenever they weren't. This was not God's command. Uh, God had not made these types of commands. And so what they begin to do is to um, uh, usurp God's command and begin to impose other things upon that. And, 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 and that can lead to some really terrible things. It ultimately makes them a, stand in a place of judgment over man-made laws. And they're going to condemn people based upon the traditions that other people have set and not the word of God. And they begin to condemn other people, not realizing that they themselves were condemned. Many of us in this room have lived under legalism. I don't know your story, but there are many people who have imposed upon you, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to believe, this is how you behave. And it can be a very oppressive thing as we begin to try to do our absolute best and work super hard. Sometimes this comes from parents, it can come from other people in in, in society, but they begin to impose man-made laws and man-made religion. And if you will just do these things, then you're going to be okay. But that leads us either to great pride look at how great I'm doing, look at how superior I'm doing, look how finely I'm walking this line, or it can lead to terrible, oppressive shame. As you try to live under the expectations of man-made religion, and you find yourself constantly falling short. Jesus had such a hard time with this. That's why he said what he did in verse 6. This is some of the harshest language you're you're going to see Jesus say anywhere in Scripture. He he goes for the jugular here. Look at verse 6. He said to these Pharisees, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus didn't pull a punch here. He didn't say, Hey, you remind me of what Isaiah said. He didn't say, Oh, hey, you know, what you're doing there, you know, similar to what, you know, the prophet Isaiah several hundreds of years ago said. No, he said, Isaiah prophesied it about you. You are the fulfillment of prophecy. And I can't help but if, wonder if, like, the Pharisees are like, Yeah, we're the fulfillment of prophecy. He's like, No, not in a good way. He is prophesying about you. Like, Isaiah made a specific prophecy about you that you are these people that honors me with their lips. That was just external. That which is on the outside, that which people can see, the peers around you, they can hear that, and they can think, well, this is a person that's really religious, but that which is internal, that which God sees, your heart is far from me, because God sees that. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. You're the fulfillment of scripture, but not in a good way. Like God does not receive that type of worship. He uses this word of hypocrite. That Greek word, uh, hupokrates, uh, it's the word used for an actor. It's used for somebody up on a stage giving a performance. Literally, if you were to translate it, it means somebody wearing a mask. If you all know your kind of traditional drama uh, masks, you know, for comedy and tragedy, you know, the smiley face and the frown face, that, that, that would be hupocrates. That would be a mask. It would be something that people would wear as people pretended to be something on the outside that they weren't really on the inside and that was the Pharisees, because externally everything looks great. Externally, when you look at them, you can go and do the ceremonial washing and show just how devoutly religious you are. And you can go from place to place proclaiming certain things on your lips, and that is what other people see, and they can say, wow, look at this great, amazing person. But God begins to look underneath that, and he sees the heart, and he says, you're far far from me, by trying to get right with me through this man-made religion. The second major danger of the Pharisees that we see here is that they forsook the true word of God for their traditions. What I mean by that is not only um, were, were, were they like kind of building the fences and like saying you need to observe these things and do these things, they were ultimately not doing what God expressly commanded, right? Like, like God actually said, here's what I want you to do. And they weren't doing that because they were only following their traditions. He gives the example um, in, in verses eight through 13 about um, parents and honoring your parents in Corbin. Okay, now what God actually did command is for Jewish people to take care of their parents when they got older. Honor your father and mother. That is the fifth commandment um, out of the ten commandments. And the expectation is that whenever parents got older, it would be the responsibility of their adult children to take care of them. That was kind of the retirement plan back in biblical days. Okay, mom and dad, I'm gonna take care of you because we're family. I know this might get a little awkward. I'm not talking about that stuff. Okay, let's focus on the text. That, that, that when parents got older, it's the responsibility of their adult children to take care of them. And what these people were doing is saying, Mom, dad, sorry, uh, can't really take care of you because um, I wanna honestly keep my stuff. I know that if I sold this stuff, like say, say somebody had like a, a plot of land, I could sell that and I could help you out, but that means that I'm out, out of money. I could make a lot more money by keeping this. Uh, I really do want to kind of keep my possessions. And so what they could do is say, okay, well, this is going to be Corban. That, that, that's used about 80 times um, in the Old Testament to refer to something devoted to God. And if you would put something under Corbin, it says that when I die, this will then go to The temple is going to be the property of the priest. Now, what they would ultimately do as a way of ultimately taking care of their parents, which would mean that they'd have to sacrifice and sell off stuff and not keep it, but give it over to their parents. They would say, well, I'm going to put this under Corbin, which basically means I get to keep it. I get to hold it to myself. I'll make money off of it. And mom and dad, sorry, you're going to go without, but I'm going to enjoy this while I live. And whenever I die, it'll just go off and belong to somebody else. You're expressly not following the word of God in an effort to follow man-made traditions. Now, it is not hard for any of us to find a religious excuse to get out of what God has ultimately commanded us to do. We can spend this. I know I've kind of been doing this stuff for, for a little while. Like you, you can you can hear churches uh, justify not taking care of um, the hurting and the vulnerable in their communities in the name of building some kind of big thing to make them look better. Where do, where do you find that in Scripture that says build this massive empire under yourself? You know, but you find well caring for widows and caring for orphans and so forth. Or you know, God has expressly called us to reach the nations. And we can find a religious spin on this, right? We can say, well, yeah, but boy, there sure is a lot of work to do here. And that's true, but that doesn't mean that we can kind of like neglect the word of of God under any type of religious excuse. These people were saying, well, God, maybe here's what you said. I'm, I'm gonna kind of like push that away, but make something externally religious. And I'm gonna follow that. It's a very big danger. A third thing, another major danger of the Pharisees is that they then began to establish their own ideas of righteousness. If I will but do these things, then therefore I will be okay with God. And this is the essence of man-made religion. I'm okay because I'm doing these things. Look at what I'm doing. I can appeal to this, this, and this. (laughs) Clearly I'm okay. Friends, remember it was religious people that were doing this. And, and we can easily begin to do this ourselves. Uh, I'm okay. I'm right with God because, look, I, I read my Bible, and I pray. And I take communion, and, and I attend regularly in, in, in church, and I go and I help people. And I can point to these objective outside r- things that, that aren't bad. But, but the, I can, let, me, let me just appeal to these things. And if I can appeal to those things, and if I'm following these things, then clearly I'm okay with God. By the way, if if you happen to be here and you're maybe like, oh, this religion thing is not my thing, maybe you're more of a secular person, well, non-religious people do this as well. I'm okay. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm okay. I'm really not that bad because, hey, I mean, I I, I pay my taxes. I, I stay okay with the law. I try to help out people whenever I can. But you can begin to see... We begin to easily begin to set up what we think it means to be right with, with, with God. This is our man-made religiosity coming out. And if I can just do these things, then therefore I'm going to be okay. Which leads to a fourth, big problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. That the Pharisees saw sin in others that they did not see in themselves. Look at verse 14. When he called the people to him again, he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered, and we had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said to him, whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him. Like the inside out. And from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. These are heart issues, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evils come from within, and they defile a person. The Pharisees did not realize that their uncleanliness went far below the surface. What defiles us is in our hearts. The problem wasn't with washing the hands. The problem is an unclean heart. And our heart is so defiled. And it makes for all of these defiled actions. And no amount of self-improvement, no amount of trying to cleanse ourselves is ever going to make us right before God. And so while we do have the sin and while we have all these issues, the solution cannot be from something on the outside. It can't be us through religious works. It cannot be through us trying to cleanse ourselves. It can't be by trying to follow the traditions and the expectations of those around us that we have a serious heart issue here. And we need to be clean, but we can't clean ourselves. So what do we do? Which leads to the fifth thing. They thought that this righteousness, the way to become clean, the way to be right with God will be from the outside in rather than the inside out. If I can just do good, if I can just follow this, if I can just pursue this with all my heart, if I can be really de- devout and I, I'm really serious this time, I'm going to follow this line and I'm not going to mess up. And if I can just do this good enough, God's going to know I really, really mean it this time and I can prove myself to God. And you find yourself on this hamster wheel of constantly running and exerting and trying to be better, trying in the name of improvement to to, to cleanse yourself, to get yourself right. But you can't ever do it because all of that is deep inside and things that we can't fix. And the hardest, probably, truth out of all of these things is the last one. We, San Angelo, we people in this room, we are them. I am them. In this story, I find myself to be the one who seeks to hold to my word above the word of God. I decide to follow my way rather than God's way. I think I know what's best. And I think that I know that if I can just try harder and be better, then God's going to accept me. We think that we know what's best for us. We know What's okay. We know what's right and wrong. We know where to draw the line. We can see sin in others that we can't see in our own hearts. We are the people of this story. But let me share with you some very good news. While you can't make yourself clean, while I can't make myself clean, Jesus can. Jesus can cleanse you. This won't be something from the outside in. Therefore, no amount of tradition, no amount of obedience, no amount of trying harder is ever going to cleanse this problem. But Jesus can make you clean. Jesus is the one who can finally put an end to the battle that many of us in this room are fighting, struggling over and over again, trying to wipe away our own sin. If you want to be clean today, if you want to be cleansed from deep within, you can be. But it will not come from the um, outside in by you trying to do some type of ways to cleanse yourself or to improve yourself. But the gospel is enough for you, that Jesus Christ right now can free you from a life of endless pursuit of trying to make yourself clean. There is a washing that is a true cleansing of every stain. And so for anybody here today that feels tired, I want you to know that you can find rest today. People who feel the mark of their sinful stains, there is a cure. There is a way to get that stain removed. But you can't do it. But you can receive it. And it will be through Jesus Christ and in him alone. That there is transformation that can take place. And that transformation takes place as you begin to receive this by God's grace through faith. And so if you happen to be here this morning, and if you're listening uh, this morning, and and, and you might feel yourself feeling um, the weight of your sin, You begin to identify with the things found in this text of the evil things that that begin to be in your heart, and and, and maybe you've tried to cover them up. Maybe you try to suppress them. Um, Maybe you try really hard to kind of get that under control, but you find it constantly defeating you. I want you to have some good news today, that there is transformation available, cleansing that goes deep within, and the struggle can finally be over. Receive this through faith that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, his work on the cross is enough for you, that his blood shed upon the cross can cleanse you from deep within and remove every stain. If you've never received that, let me invite you, let me encourage you to confess that sin out to God and say that no longer will you try to cover it up to religiosity or suppression or self-improvement, but today will be the day when you're gonna receive his cleansing that goes deep within and receive that by faith. That is his gift to you if you will believe and put your faith in that. If you are a believer here this morning, you can live from the inside out knowing everything that you've ever done has been cleansed. This is good news. There is no more room for improvement upon the work of Christ. It is finished for you. We can't top that so let me encourage you to begin to just receive this, to turn away from any feeling or tendency that you might have towards cleansing yourself. Know that you have freedom and it was given to you through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you are accepted and you are beloved and you are adopted and you are cherished. He's not mad. His anger was satisfied on the cross. The wrath of God is satisfied. You bear it no more. The sin has been separated as far as east is from the west. You have now a relationship that is so deep, that which is of a father to a child. He is yours and you are his rest today in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Friends, in a moment, we are going to take communion I want to be clear about this, that communion does not make you holy. Again, as was said from this text, there's nothing from the outside that can kind of cleanse you from within other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't don't become righteous by partaking of this meal. So just as we do not become unrighteous by something from the outside coming in, so too we do not become righteous by something like the Lord's table coming in. It has to be received by faith. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I want you to know something. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. You are welcome here. Truly, we are grateful that you are here. Now, we're going to ask that you would refrain from the Lord's table as Scripture reserves this table for believers. However, while the table is not for you, Jesus Christ is. The gospel is here, ready to receive you. Jesus Christ is ready to cleanse you deep within. So partake first by faith and later through the elements. If you are a believer here this morning, I hope that you will come to the Lord's table today as free people that have been washed and cleansed. And and just your very act of going to the Lord's table would be just, just a reminder of you, for you that you have been cleansed deep within, that he is your righteousness, that no amount of religious works will ever be needed. He just says, come, come to the table and partake of my grace. So now, brothers and sisters, let's leave behind law upon law and let's receive the grace upon grace.
0: Let's partake.